Hello, Nelly here, and this is Build Your Army with buildyourarmy.com. And I have Daniela Licio, a close friend and business partner with Some Ventures, who is the author of How Not to Get Screwed by Your Lawyer. Daniela, welcome. Thanks for thanks for Thank being you. here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Always fun to talk to you. Yes. We, uh, we're going to get into some stuff here today. First Excellent. off, how do we find your book? Uh, well, if people want to, uh, I think the best way is just to actually go to how not to get screwed by lawyer.com. You can get your, the introduction in chapter one for free. So just, um, put in your email address and I will send it to you and you can figure out if you like it. And if you love the book, then you can just buy it. I have a link, um, available to people, or you can just go to Amazon and check how not to get screwed by your lawyer. I will come up, Daniela Licio, and people can check it out. Awesome. And that spelling of Lysio is L-I-S-C-I-O for the uh, dyslexics of us here. Well, it's not an name. easy name to, yeah. But <laughs> you, they don't even have to remember that. Just remember, how not to get screwed by your lawyer. Which Super is a, a fantastically creative uh, title for a book. And I'm sure anybody who's hired a lawyer, that title will resonate with them because I think lawyers are always just trying to drag out their hourly rate. What do you feel about that? Is that why you wrote the book? Um, yeah. So here's a joke though, before we even get there, how not to get screwed by. So I, a colleague, um, I, I literally, this is, this was a very quick thinking colleague who I said the title, how not to get screwed by our lawyer. And he said, unless they're really good looking. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there you go. So is that breaking any kind of, um, yes. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what the guidelines are, but I know, I know therapists can't sleep with their clients. So I figured. No, 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 no. Definitely frowned upon. Yeah. It, it's no. some Completely or, unethical. Is it an oath that they take? Is that what well, it is? It's not a, it's not a, um, what it's not included in the oath that lawyers would take at the time of what, whatever their bar admissions are, you know, in different States, it's slightly okay. different. However, I mean, no, so it doesn't actually, you know, I will not sleep with clients is definitely not in the formal articulation of the rules, but it is, I mean, certainly, you know, it's actually a good question. I'm trying to think back to the rules of professional conduct. Um, you know, I think the, 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 uh, the pertinent language is more about conflicts of interest created. So uh -huh. you definitely, I mean, it's, it's most certainly encapsulated in the broader realm of conflicts. Um, but I, I don't, it, what it I was thinking about is, gee, is the language in there somewhere? And it probably is in, not in necessarily the rules themselves, but there's always commentary to the rules. And I mean, I'm sure it shows up somewhere, but regardless, you shouldn't need a rule to tell you that you should not be sleeping with your clients. That, that, that's fair. I'm sure it was in an ethics course somewhere in, in the <laughs> <laughs> I had to like come I, up in conversation. Somewhere. Yeah. Like sometimes you sort of think, do I really need someone to tell me that? <laughs> but in the world of, you know, craziness, yes, we absolutely should be uh, reminding right. lawyers that, yeah, we should not, yeah. we should not engage in that behavior. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Not that it doesn't happen, you know, but yeah, you just don't tell anybody you've done it, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Um, what, what did, uh, inspire you to write this book because there, there is a one one part of it that you talked about that quite resonated with me and that fits with a lot of different industries and and i'll t i'll go into what that was it was um 
like there's no incentive for lawyers to fix the system. So why would you type of thing? And that resonated with me with a lot of industries, uh, real estate, for example, with the dual representation, it's kind, it's kind of like a conflict there, but nobody in their right mind was going to push to fix that on their own because they're going to double dip on their commission. So real estate agents loved the dual representation, even though they're mm -hmm. the ones who went out uh, until like regulations got involved uh, in Canada specifically. Anyways, that was continuing to happen. And I, th I think now you can't, but it needed the government to kind of step in to fix that part of the system, even though I'm not a big regulatory guy. Um, but, but was that one of the reasons you were inspired to, to write the book or, or what was it specifically? No, I can tell you specifically, although that's a very good point. And yes, I, you know, as, as you know, I made the point in the book, here's what made me want to write this book and call it as I did, um, you know, title it as I did. When I left law, I was, first of all, I was in the, you know, uh, in the world of big corporate law. So I did a lot of deal work and clients were primarily big corporations. And so when you're dealing with that kind of clientele, they have in-house counsel, they have general counsel, they have entire legal teams often working with, you know, uh, on, on a deal or whatever with, with the lawyers. So when I left to start my own um, business, I realized I, I was now in a position to meet smaller business owners, um, you know, entrepreneurs, people who are working, you know, kind of like, as you know, you're wearing like multiple hats. You're not just the uh, owner and founder of a business. You're now also, you know, like the chief marketer, you're the operations manager, you're doing everything. Uh, you might have a small team, like one to 10 employees, but you're still generally wearing a lot more hats. And frankly, even with e even a slightly larger team, there often is not, there's, there's not capacity for an in-house counsel, for example, or, you know, someone like that. So you're having to manage the legal process and it's impossible to get through business without having some legal issue, right? You're going to need a lawyer at some point. Sure. So I'm now in this position of meeting entrepreneurs and small business and realizing how many of them were so, uh, were having so many problems with their own lawyer, not the other side, not someone that was suing them or they were suing, obviously those are issues, but struggling with the relationship with their attorneys. And what I also was realizing at the same time was that there was this complacency. So hugely successful people, very successful business owners, uh, very profitable business owners, very sophisticated users of legal services still were kind of taking this, I, you know, this um, position of, okay, I'm hiring my lawyer to deal with this. I don't want to deal with it. And I realized, look, there are some things that the business owner needs to do to improve that relationship and take a little bit of ownership over that so that they don't throw money down the drain. Because ultimately, that is exactly what is happening. When, you know, business owners, entrepreneurs are taking this perspective, you know, taking this approach, and I get it, you're busy, you're busy doing your own business, running your own life you hire people for the very reason that you don't want to manage this whole thing. That's just not the right way to enter the relationship with a few simple, easy tweaks, which I explain in the book, 
people can approach that relationship with a different mindset and with a much clearer system and process in place to make sure that they don't throw money at their lawyer. Because essentially what we're doing is literally here, here, lawyer, take even more money. Like everyone's mad about their legal bill bills. Well, we can, we have a responsibility to our own business, frankly, right? To ourselves to say, wait a second, there's a few things that I can do differently to make sure I don't throw money down the toilet. And I also, in the process, save myself a lot of stress and potentially even, you know, kind of tweak the direction of your legal matter a little better so that you you end up in the in the place that you want to end up. So what, what you're talking about essentially is taking ownership of that relationship between you and the lawyer so yeah. that your interests are protected and not getting screwed by your lawyer, which right. was was interesting because I, I believe it was an analogy you did. You wrote about, I think it was sports with the coach uh-huh. um, and player, which like before reading that section of that book, I thought, you know, you hire the expert, they do their thing, they lead the direction or the path, sure, which is completely wrong. And, and your book kind of highlighted that, that you can kind of lead the lawyer in the kind of direction you want them to go into or what is a win for you. And I find in corporate life, um, when I'm working with the corporate lawyers, they'll, they'll always r come back and say, well, that's a business decision. That's not a legal decision. And I'm like, but I'm, you're here to, to, to direct that. But when reading your book, especially as a, an entrepreneur, it's my decision on where I want that case to go is it would that be accurate so let me well and it's not that it's totally irrelevant absolutely you are hiring the expert so you need to take guidance and direction from your lawyer absolutely you know for, for, we're not saying that you're going to step all over your lawyer's toes and think right. you're going to be the lawyer that's not what we're saying but but to your point what we are definitely distinguishing is yes i actually can uh, make a decision about the strategic direction. Let me give you an easy, easy example, because I think people struggle with this. It's like, well, yeah, but I need the lawyer to, yes, the lawyer is going to tell you, Hey, there is no point to litigating this because the chances of you winning are low or whatever. But, but ultimately, you know, a lawyer will come back and say, yes, but it's still a business. A, a lawyer is never going to tell you to definitely take this road or definitely not right. take that road. And that's what you're saying. That's kind of the frustrating thing because right. they are not going to answer that question. And that reflects the, one of the challenging aspects of the law, which is there are no easy answers. It's not as easy as saying, okay, this is a black and white answer for you. As we know, much in life is just not, it's not black and white. So that's why a lawyer is always going to let the final decision to you. But what we want to do from the start, so here would be an example. Let's say you are, uh, your business is, um, uh, you you have a, an issue with a, I don't know, let's just pick something. Let, let's, let's say you've got an issue with a supplier. Supplier has slightly changed the terms, not necessarily worth, you know, kind of going to litigation over. But on the other hand, let's say that you want to establish yourself as someone that no one can screw with. It's, you've got a, uh, there's an interest in your industry and in your positioning in that industry to make it clear to all other suppliers that you work with that you are not going to allow yourself to be screwed in this way. And that's just for, again, lots of business reasons. That's what, in that case, a lawyer may be saying, you know, look, you don't really have a good shot 
uh, and you say, it doesn't matter in this case, we are going the distance because it is important to establish myself as this person that you are not going to take advantage of. Because if I, you know, if I don't, then I have these other potential business risks down the road and I don't want them. Alternatively, um, you know, that might be a situation where you do the opposite, where you lay back and say, you know what, this, this one is not worth fighting over as much like people see that as, okay, well, that's the lawyer. No, it's not just as you said, you know, just as you've been told the lawyer saying to you, it's a business decision. I, as a lawyer said that to many clients, right? right? Your job as the lawyer is not to make the decision for them as for your clients, your job is to articulate the risks as best you can so that they are in the best position to make that decision. So when you are heading into something, people say, well, obviously I know that. Well, this is what I like to challenge people with because as much as we say, well, I already know that people are not doing it. We don't do what we often know, just like, you know, I use the example in the book, also, well, you know, you're probably supposed to drink more water and, you know, lay off the crappy food, but you yeah. have, but you still do it, right? You still do yeah. it. So we, that, that's just human nature. We all do, we all know we should be doing this, but we don't do the things. And that's why this is what was so fascinating and ultimately led me to write this book is because I initially was thinking, okay, this is really just going to be for people who've never used a lawyer. They, you know, just need a bit of guidance. And I quickly realized, no, this is essential for people who know what they're doing. It's it's important for everybody who's approaching, you know, getting into a a legal relationship of some kind. But I was meeting just, you know, unbelievably successful, uh, profitable (laughs) business owners who were not doing the thing with their lawyers that they do in business every day. So they might be negotiating masters. They might be, you know, doing deals left, right, and center, super, like nothing intimidating about these people. And yet even they were saying to me, yeah, sometimes I get intimidated or, you know what, I just feel like I'm being, uh, you know, the word that come, you know, I I feel like I'm being violated. I mean, literally these are words that came up in my conversations and I'm like, what is happening? Yeah. By their own lawyer. And it's like, why is this ha- like, why is this happening? And so a lot of people will come back and say, well, it's not all lawyers that are bad. That's not what I'm saying. I, I never make the argument that all lawyers are bad. That is not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the industry has systemic issues, just like you highlighted with the real estate industry at one time. There are systemic issues that make it very challenging for clients to maneuver through. And lawyers, unfortunately don't do anything because they are not incentivized. You can say just because they're not incentivized, they're going to do the right thing. That's nonsense. We have complicated laws that people can't even understand. We have uh, an entire system that is so bloated, so bureaucratic that people can't get you know done what they need to get done without years of delays and so on, especially this was even before the pandemic, let alone after the pandemic. Right. So lawyers cannot possibly say that yes, we're making the, the the system smoother. No, they are not. They are involved, and I make this point in the book, they are involved in every single aspect of our lives, whether it's policymaking, whether it's legal drafting, you know, like people who are actually drafting laws, whether it's judges themselves, the, judici- the judiciary, 
all these aspects where people have all kinds of conflicts, really right, quite ironic when we think about it, there's all kinds of conflicts involved in maintaining a system that does not work for the users of that system, the clients. Frankly, not a whole lot different than the political system. The po- would anybody really argue that politicians are really acting in the best interests of the public? That no. is nonsense. And and similarly, so as a whole, it doesn't mean that, you know, all politicians are bad people, although maybe we can make that argument. But I'm not, you know, it's not that lawyers themselves are bad people. They are just, you know, cogs in a difficult, complicated, challenging wheel that they do not make any better. So it's up to clients to start saying, wait a second, we need to take back a little bit of control. And that's what the book is, is a blueprint for taking back some of that control. So do you find um, clients typically take uh, either a backseat or subservient role to the lawyer? And this is- Oh, 100%. And this book is about leveling that playing field or that hierarchy? Yes. Between client and lawyer? Yes, because right now we have like, we put lawyers like up here on a pedestal. Right. And it's like the clients are down here. Yeah. That's insane. And it's what, like, you're like saying, we should be like, you know, like right. clients should be kind of on the pedestal or at least equal, you know, like they're the ones paying the bill. And this, this equation is nonsense. It's insane that we have accepted it that way. So it's like, it's like you were saying, like you, you know, brilliant entrepreneurs negotiating big deals and stuff. But then when it comes to their lawyer, it, they don't treat it the same way. That's exactly right. Exactly. And, and, and I, and I explain there's different reasons why that happens. Okay. Um, and in general, it's just, it's, it's the very point that we started with is that you're hiring the expert to manage right. that you're, you need the expertise and, and a, a, lots of different things happen when we do that. So that's, what's actually quite interesting is this book is not, it's not necessarily only the blueprint for dealing with your lawyer. Frankly, it's easily translatable into any professional services relationship. So whether it's your financial advisor, whether it's an accountant, whether it's whoever, right? Um, it's, it, it creates a bit of a, again, a system that's super easy. Anybody can kind of put in place to make sure that we're a bit more careful in that, in that context so that we don't, we don't take such a subservient role. Right. So ideally your ideal reader would be an entrepreneur, small or medium sized business type of thing, or, or somebody leading a big corporation even. Well, frankly, well, this is what's interesting actually is a lot of the complaints that, so the answer is yes, small business owner, entrepreneur, um, because those tend to be the ones without, uh, the support. However, that said, the reality is, uh, a lot of the complaints that small and medium businesses have are the exact same as the big, big guys complaints, which is very interesting when you think about it. And so again, it's still why, like we have this you know, disequilibrium. And there's lots of opportunity for pretty much anyone using a lawyer, certainly in the business world, to level up that field a little bit and just simply protect themselves a a little bit. And so a a reader would benefit from somebody who's currently working with a lawyer, someone who's about to hire a lawyer, or someone who worked with a lawyer in the past, 
and and might be in a situation where they need to hire another lawyer again. So it's almost like the before, current, and after would all apply to this book. Absolutely. And frankly, um, you know, a colleague had had, uh, liked the book so much and passed it on to um, a family member. And the family member reached out to me and said, you know, um, this book reinvigorated my soul because he was starting to feel a little bit like, and what he meant by that is, you know, I make the case um, in a, in a more subtle way in the book about how important small business is to our community. And I think during the pandemic, we allowed ourselves to feel less important. You know, I think it's disgraceful that we simply, I mean, people like me and you were talking about this the entire time, but it was disgraceful that we allowed, you know, the Walmarts of the world and, you know, Lowe's to stay open and we shut down small business for yeah. some, you know, bullshit uh, distortion of public policy. That was ludicrous that we allowed that to happen. Disgusting. It- and, and every business owner who is not fighting against that should be reflecting and saying, why did I allow myself for that to happen? Because everybody knows, everybody in business knows, no matter what BlackRock wants to say or whatever, you know, whatever soapbox we're going to allow, you know, to speak more loudly, business has never just been about profit and the bottom line. That is insane. I went to business school 20 years ago. I was nobody, nobody thinks that they may say that, oh, we've got to somehow, you know, like, you know, create a more, you know, create more social good. Absolutely. But let me ask you a question. I ask those people who say that, who do we ever look to, to, to find a cure for cancer or to solve environmental problems or to, um, you know, put people in space? Who do we rely on? The government? Never. It is never the government who is coming up with that solution. It right. is always private industry, private business, that solves every big problem that humans face. So when I say it is imperative that we protect business, it's not, it has nothing to do with money. It has to do with everything that has allowed us to live longer and better lives. So I found, so when we, we take that into account and we face that reality and we're not, you know, like trying to be, uh, I don't know, whatever, we're getting sucked into whatever stupid thing some Hollywood idiot wants to talk about or some politician wants to say to, you know, pretend they're doing good for the world. There's nothing about any of that that is compassionate. There's nothing about any of it that is good. What we should be saying is how do we support small business? Because even Amazon and even, you know, even Amazon and whatever, Google had to start in a garage. You know, you don't know what that next stage is for business. So in many ways, this book was about wanting small business to think bigger. That is, I think, something that we should hang on to that is worth fighting for. And yes, it is a micro, it's a micro niche kind of theory. You know, it's in dealing with our lawyers. How do we think bigger with respect to, you know, thinking about our or dealing with our lawyers? But uh, the, 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 the bigger component of that is that it fits into uh, a model that creates more resilient 
and more resilient business and also just business that is willing to, like I said, think bigger. That's, that's beautiful. And it, it fits right in with your, uh, the workshops that you do from time to time with business armor live that I've sat in on a few times. And I mean, it, nobody can, can talk for four hours like you and it <laughs> feel like it's a 10 minute thing. Like, wow. I mean, well, thank you. The, the amount of value you bring to those workshops is, is phenomenal. And it is about, uh, armor and layers to your business, layers of resilience to, to having a, a business and being an entrepreneur to not allow you know, government to intrude and, and shut down your business, not, not like roll over when things like that happen, not let outside forces influence your business. Um, and, and that fits right into with how not to get screwed by your lawyer too. I think those two mar are a great marriage together uh, because it's another uh, piece of armor with a business. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that. And, and that's exactly right. That's the, you know, that's the idea is I just want us all to be thinking, okay, we may be running small business. That doesn't mean that we should be, you know, like sort of, you know, I, I can't believe how many business I just, in fact, I was, uh, you know, recently traveling and I met some other business owners from Canada, from our native country where, you know, I was like, well, yeah, but we had no choice. It was a government telling us. And I said, wait a okay. second, that is not how it works we lead the change. That's so right. I said, the reality was in the US, we had the exact same restrictions in place. But <clears throat> at some point, enough people were saying, no, I am not complying with something that is not this is this is not good. There are other consequences to this, you know, I'm not going to let somebody lie about, you know, the nar this narrowly construed consequence. Um, when public policy is intended to be looking at all of the factors and yes, there's going to be some losers and winners, but we've got to do a better job of, you know, taking the full landscape, a more holistic approach and saying, we are not going to uh, comply with these ridiculous rules. I'm, no, I'm not saying, you know, go out and break the law. That is not what I'm saying. But in this particular instance where we had, um, you know, rules that were frankly, uh, I mean, I think ultimately if they were ever litigated in court, they would be easily kind of, you know, brushed aside. So these were very ad hoc rules kind of put in place uh, for not, not any good reason, um, frankly. Like I said, you know, it makes no sense that certain stores could stay open and others could not. I mean, the whole thing was mind-boggling well, to that point idiotic but to that point it proved that it was bogus because right. no science would ever say it's okay to go to walmart and costco but not a mom and pop shirt to buy a buy a t-shirt a yeah, uh, mom and pop was, store to buy a t-shirt so right. it's, it's like if you look at it there might be hundreds of people in the walmart and five people in a mom and pop store but those five <laughs> people are in more danger than the hundred people in that other big box store yeah. Which the whole proved, the whole thing was so stupid. Yeah, it just goes to anybody who thought for three seconds realized that that was bogus because it can't be about the science if you're selectively allowing certain businesses to be open and they just happen to be the big ones. Right, right. So w without you know sort of like burying ourselves in that, but the but yeah. the but but it's a it's a good lesson to sort of learn to sort of say, I need to make sure that next time something like this happens, I am going to create a business that is more resilient in the face of whatever next come, you know, comes, you know, like the last, the last thing that, I don't know, I think the WEF just 
who's you know meeting right now as we're uh, you know trying to try and ignore it because it's yeah. but, it, but it's 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 like it's it's almost uh science fictiony that we yeah. have this group of people we don't really know exactly who's funding them we don't i don't want to get into like and they're, the conspiracy they're, plotting stuff, our, but, they're plotting our future but no but they so they just said you know like something about yeah we should be expecting a cyber attack of like you know grand proportion or however they word it it's like and it's probably the well, russian gee, too, that's right? yeah exactly so so my point is we should always expect problems sure. problems happen it is not this is not it's not a conspiracy theory to believe that there's going to be something that's likely to happen i don't know what it is i have no idea all i know is that if we look back at history and i talked about this in the, some of the workshops that we did we 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 like to think oh my god things are so terrible they're so crazy right now well when are they not you know right. walt disney started you know in 1929 he put a slapped a you know a cartoon mouse on a watch and built this unbelievably you know uh infamous business in the walt disney company Incredible. you sort of think that was literally like at the start of the great depression that that happened who is going to be interested in a cartoon mouse on a watch and yet it you know he did and and if you look back at the history of all kinds of companies whether it's ibm or ge or any number of companies that still are in existence today you sort of think it is amazing that they had to live through also very challenging times as we all do i'm not saying it's easy i'm not saying like you know like some of some people are just better at it than than many of us but it's the process of learning how do we create um you know a business that is more uh, flexible adaptable and ultimately profitable so that it gets you through all of those challenging times amazing well daniela thank you again for for being here it's uh how not to get screwed by your lawyer.com to find that that book at that free chapter, but make sure you buy it too, because don't just be a leech here. Daniela, <laughs> Amazon's actually, actually the hardcovers often, I mean, it's mostly been on, on sale for like the, as, as cheap as the paperback. So, so perfect. can look for it. Yeah. Thank you. So again, how not to get screwed by your lawyer.com with Daniela Lissio. Thanks again. Thank you. Take care.